We're going to be in Luke chapter number 24, if you'd uh, join us there. Luke 24, as we stand in honor of God's Word here tonight, it's good to have guests here with us. And um, those of you that were in various departments here this morning, first of all, thanks for your service in all those areas. Uh, you're making an impact on kids and young people, so that's a real blessing. And in fact, I'm glad we what the choir did this morning we could do tonight just so they could enjoy that. You know what I mean? That's a blessing. And we enjoyed it again, too. It's a blessing for sure. Um, but we were in Luke 24 this morning and uh, we covered the first, uh, roughly covered, I mean, we didn't go into great detail on all the verses, obviously just more of a survey of these verses, but we uh, went with uh, ladies to the tomb to see that the, the tomb was empty and uh, that the angel asked, why seek you the living among the dead? And uh, they came not to seek the living among the dead, but they were seeking the dead among the dead. They didn't expect him to be alive, but he was. They fled back. They went back and told his disciples and their words seemed like idle tales unto them. They had a hard time believing it because the disciples themselves did not believe that he had risen from the dead. Uh, they forgot what he said about being crucified, being buried and rising again. Uh, the Jewish leaders remembered what he said and they set a guard there at the tomb and yet they couldn't hold him in. He came forth alive Two were on their way to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And while they were on their way, a stranger came and walked with them a good part of the journey and uh, asked what they were talking about. And they were surprised. He didn't know what was going on in Jerusalem because everybody knew what was going on in Jerusalem, except this one man, except he actually did know what was going on. And so it was Jesus walking with them. Little did they realize that. He sat and talked with them and he explained to them out of Moses and the prophets uh, the things concerning himself, about his suffering and about him rising again, about his future kingdom, he's reigning. In fact, I'm thankful for all the things that have been fulfilled. That gives us assurance, assurance that the rest of it shall be fulfilled. And so uh, we're picking up the reading now um, as the, these uh, two, um, Cleopas and the other, made their way back to Jerusalem. Um, you think about it, they went seven miles to Emmaus, seven miles back. They had a long day, um, half marathon or a little bit more as they made their way there and back. I would imagine that their way back was quicker than the way out. When you say they were excited to say we met with him, he met with us. So let's pick up the reading now in verse number 33. And they arose the same hour, these two on the road to Emmaus, they, they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together and them that were with them saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace be unto you. Now they don't know how they got in, how he got in. He was just suddenly in their midst. All right. So look at verse number 37. But they were terrified and affrighted. And they and supposed that they had seen a spirit. 
And he said unto them, I want you to notice verse 38 in particular, it's really going to be a focal point of the message here tonight. Why are ye troubled? He asked them. Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? So, verse 39, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit, he's addressing, he's addressing their concerns, isn't he? A spirit, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, the idea is there, this is too good to be true. They believe not yet for joy um, and wondered. He said to them, have you here any meat? <laughs> Do you have something to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. Why? To demonstrate he was not a spirit. Spirits don't eat fish and honeycomb. So he was bodily raised from the dead. And yet there's something different about his body, evidently, as he entered the room without a door being open. Or back up a little bit as he exited a gravestone without the stone being rolled away. No, don't get it wrong, friend. The stone was not rolled away to let him out. It was rolled back to let them in <laughs> to see that he was not there. He said unto them, verse 44 now, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. So three major divisions of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Moses, the law, prophets, and, the, and in the Psalms concerning me. You're going to miss the whole point of the Bible if you don't see Jesus in the Bible. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved. In other words, behooved there. I know that's a word we don't normally use. It just means this, it was necessary. Thus it behooved Christ. Here, here's three things, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that, verse 47, is also an infinitive there. Verse 47 says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now, most likely there's a gap here because Matthew would re record the uh, great commission given to the disciples up in Galilee. This is recorded where he ascends from Bethany. All right, so there's, there's a gap in time there. Luke just doesn't give us all the details. By, by the way, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. The, the, um, the, what, those who wrote the gospels, they don't contradict one another, they complement one another. These are eyewitnesses accounts from different angles and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to help us get the full picture. Verse 50, 
And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I think that's what we've experienced today, isn't it? Great joy. And we're continually in the temple. Notice this. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Praising and blessing God. So the title of the message tonight is this. Why do thoughts arise in your heart? So very, it's the words of Jesus to his disciples then. And I'd like for us to consider it here tonight as we consider the fact of his resurrection. Why do thoughts arise in your hearts tonight? So why do, why do you uh, get troubled in life? Why do we, why do we struggle with doubts at times? Anybody here struggle with doubts along the way? Why do you struggle with thoughts? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? How do you go from deliberation to determination? How do you go from deliberating within yourself thinking what in the world is going on to knowing what's going on and doing something about it. Okay, I believe it'll be a help if we tune into it here tonight. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? <clears throat> so, um, even with all that we have in the Bible, by the way, aren't we blessed and privileged to have all that we have preserved for us, even more than what the disciples then had? I mean, they had the Old Testament accessible to them, but here we have the New Testament accessible to us. And with all that was going on in their life at this point in time, they, they were indeed struggling with doubts. They were struggling with their thoughts. They were trying to piece all this together. I, I mean, really, it was certainly we don't have to be hard on the disciples because it's not like if we were there, we would have it any more figured out. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, if, you're, if you were in that situation, and, and in many ways, probably you have been in a situation that is, that is similar, you know, uh, I mean, just imagine here, put yourself there. They just received tragic news. They, they just observed it that he was crucified. I mean, the one that they had been with for over three years, for three years now was, was suddenly take from, taken from them. Okay, let, let, me, let me put it into a context perhaps as to where maybe you've experienced before. Maybe you have had something tragic happen and then all the, all the events are unfolding and you're hearing from this person and that person about what happened. Maybe it was a, an accident. I mean, we, we could even think about, you know, the bombing of the, the federal building here, the Murrah building in 1995. Uh, I mean, many of you remember that like it was yesterday and, you know, here it is so long ago or 2001. And, and you know, I'll never forget, I was getting ready to go to class. You know, I was in the grad school during that time and walking out the door and, and one of the members of the church in Republic called me and said, hey, did, did you hear what happened? And I hadn't had the TV on because I was trying to get homework done. And, and so I was about to go to work, about to go to school rather. And so then I turned on the TV and I mean, you know, all these events are unfolding and then another plane strikes another tower and then a plane strikes the Pentagon. And then there's a plane that goes down in, the, in, in, um, in Pennsylvania. And I mean, everything is just happening so quick and you're just trying to wrap your brain around it. Do you follow the analogy? I mean, that's really what they were, what was experienced, what they were experiencing, I'm sorry, what the disciples were experiencing as the women came 
running in the door and saying, he's not there. He's, he's not in the tomb. We went to finish his burial, but he's gone. And I tell you, he's gone. And, and in the meantime, Mary was there and she saw him alive. And, and so then Peter leaves, you know, and John with him and they race to the tomb and, and, and uh, they go in and they find that he's not there. John stays and is contemplating these things. Peter, I think, just kind of ventures off by himself. And at some point, Jesus interacts with him. And so then, Peter, are you following all this? I mean, there's a lot of details that's going on. I'm just trying to put us in the context of what they were experiencing as all this was, was coming down all at one time. And they're hearing reports from the ladies. They're hearing from Peter that he saw him. And then the next thing you know, here comes these two men that just left them, you know, just a few hours ago going to Emmaus and, and uh, they come in and they say, Hey, listen, we were walking and he walked with us. He sat down with us and he told us things concerning himself. And, and we, we didn't even realize it was him until he broke bread. <laughs> and, and I mean, they are going through the details of the day. The details of the day from, from before sunup, you know, with the sunrise from that time to, to this time now, as they are hunkered down in a room for fear of the Jews, mind you. And suddenly he appeared in their midst. I mean, just instantly. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to see a live feed of that? Wouldn't it be awesome if we got to live stream the Bible, you know, just to see all of this unfolding. But, but he just shows up out of nowhere. There's no door that opens. There's no one that, that let anybody in, but then suddenly there he is. You ever been startled? Somebody just, I mean, even this morning, uh, uh, well, Travis Hinton's here today. Tra Travis right here. He was a student here at Heartland Baptist Bible College in the Southwest. I was his college and career director. And he came up to me. I was walking out of the office and he didn't, I didn't see him coming. And he said, hey, <laughs> just like he always did when he was in college. And man, I jumped. I said, Travis. <laughs> I mean, it felt like old times, you know, some things never change, right? You've been startled. They were startled. In fact, they were terrified. The Bible, isn't that what it said? They're terrified. They were affrighted. I mean, they were startled to the point where they were, were scared and they thought it was a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. Okay, now wait a minute. We, we could even reflect back. Remember when they were on the sea one time and there was this major storm and they saw somebody walking on the water? Well, what would you think it was? Right? I mean, you... Now, I... Anyways, we don't have to go into ghosts, do we? Or spirits or phantoms or whatever it is. I mean, that's just spooky. I, I'm trying to weigh this out, whether to tell this story. Um, some of you are saying don't. <laughs> that's a good point. But my dad was, was hunting one time at night. He was coon, he was coon hunting. And, and they came up on this graveyard in the middle of the night. L let me tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, how old you are, how big you are. You come to a graveyard in the middle of the night, you're going to be scared. I'm just telling you. I, it was terrifying as a little kid hunting with my dad and stuff. You know, I'd have my survival knife and I'd unhook it. I don't know what in the world that was going to do, but I, I would just unhook it and I was ready to go for whatever jumped out, you know. But he said they saw something white go up and something go down. White go up and something go down. And man, it spooked them. Well, what it was is a goat had fallen in a sunken grave and it was trying to get out and couldn't get out. Trying to get out and couldn't get out. Trying to get out and couldn't get out. They thought it was a ghost, but it wasn't, okay? Boy, I tell you what, I mean, you get something in your mind, it's hard to shake out, isn't it? 
So, I mean, there they were, you know, on the Sea of Galilee, and they see in this boisterous storm this, this, this individual walking on the water, and they thought it was a spirit, and they cried out for their ever-loving life. And Jesus said, peace be unto you, it's, it's I. And then Peter got out and walked with him. Here they are now, and they're in this room, and the door is shut, and he appears to them, and, and we read it, they thought it, he was a spirit. Now, this is very important for us to, to see this. This morning, we dealt with some of the, the faulty thinking of those that don't believe a true bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some say that his body was stolen. Well, that, that is easily disproven by the fact that here are these disciples that were supposed to be the ones that stole the body and they're hiding in fear. And, and then they folded, if, if they were thieves, we talked about it this morning, they folded the grave clothes before they left. What thief folds clothes? <laughs> so none of this really matches up. I'm not going to take the time to go back through all those, but, but his, he, they did not steal his body. Another theory that people come up with, you know why they come up with these theories? Because they don't want to believe. The problem is not the head, the problem is the heart. And so they said he swooned on the cross. He passed out on the cross and then he woke up in the grave. After being speared in the side, after all the blood, after his body being prepared, don't you think Joseph and Nicodemus would have known if he wasn't dearly dead as they worked with his body and prepared him for the burial? I mean, it's obvious that Jesus was indeed dead. The soldiers who were trained in battle believed he was dead and Pilate believed he was dead. The Jewish leaders didn't deny that he was dead. I mean, it's, it's obvious that he was, he was dead. So, so there are those theories, but then there's this idea. Well, maybe he didn't rise bodily. Maybe it was just his spirit. And so Jesus dealt with that as he, he showed them his hands by the way, someone has said the only man-made thing in heaven are the, the prints in his hands and on his feet and his side as a lamb that has been slain. That's all that we contributed to heaven. Our sins contributed that. That's humbling, isn't it? That's humbling. But he said, touch my hands, touch my side. Do you have some fish? Speaking to the fishermen, what do you have to eat? <laughs> he wasn't hungry, friend. He wasn't just hungry. He was wanting to show them, I'm not a spirit. But the, the verse I wanted to draw your attention to, I think is very crucial. And, and I realize, you know, we could read more into it than what is there. But in light of what was going on, he's asking them, why are ye afraid? And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Because the second half of what he's going to deal with there and what we read is basically the Great Commission in Luke. And we could read Matthew, but basically this, they're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to preach repentance and the remission of sins to every people group on the earth. When you, when you see the word there, nation, it doesn't mean just, you know, the state nations that, that are there geographically, but it's every people group in the earth is to hear this message of salvation. But they would not be aflame with confidence 
if they did not understand truly that he had risen from the grave. They, they would not be prepared to go into all the world and to preach the gospel if they were struggling with doubts. And neither are we. Doubts will hold you back. Okay, look at verse 38 again, would you please? I want to I do a little bit of work here and then maybe even illustrate it. Look at verse 37 and 38 again. And again, I, I'm not trying to read more into it than what is here. Because the, 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 the context of this is they thought he was a spirit, right? We saw that. Why are you terrified? Or they were terrified, verse 37, and they were affrighted. So the word terrified there means startled or alarm. Affrighted means extremely afraid. Okay. They su and suppose that they had seen a spirit, verse 37, verse 38. And he said unto them, why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? So why are you troubled? Okay, so I looked up the word troubled there and it means this. Stirred up, disturbed, shaken. Why are you upset? That's, that's another idea. Why are you upset? Another definition I found was this. Thrown into confusion. Why are you thrown into confusion? All right, now, now bear with me here. Follow me. Um, he had told them that he was going to be crucified, buried, and rise again. So now that I'm in your midst, why are you thrown into confusion? Why are you disturbed by my presence? You say, if I was there, I would not be disturbed by his presence. Uh, yes, you would. Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Okay, so the word thoughts, it's interesting. Uh, this word thought, the noun is used 14 times in the New Testament. The verb uh, is used 16 times. The verbal form of it is used 16 times. The word is the word from which we get our noun dialogue. Dialogue. Okay, it's, it sounds very similar in Greek. It's the word from which we get dialogue. Why do you thoughts arise in your hearts? Um, why do you have this internal dialogue going on in your mind? Are you following me? Why do you have this dialogue? Does, it, does anybody here ever have a dialogue that's going on in your mind? You ever talk to yourself? Not out loud. If you do that, people will come, okay? <laughs> But you got these thoughts that are going on in your mind, right? You got this dialogue that's going on in your mind, this deliberation. Um, uh, let me give you just a few. I, I know this can be a little tedious with definitions, but we're, we're going to illustrate here in just a moment. The thinking of a man deliberating within himself is the idea. Just contemplating this, trying to wrap your brain around it, questioning what, about what is true, what is true, um, Okay, a few instances where it's used is in Luke 9, 47, where Jesus perceived the thought of their hearts, where they were, they were debating, they were deliberating about who was the greatest. And Jesus knew the thoughts of their heart. So then he called a little child up into their midst. Okay, so that's the idea. They were debating. And, and you know, they had this internal discussion going on, this dialogue going in, on in their minds, and it actually made its way to their lips. I think I'm the greatest. Okay, they were debating. They were dialoguing about that. 
Uh, the word is also used in Romans 1, 21, the evil imaginations of their hearts. The word imaginations is its word thought, your imagination. How many of you agree your imagination can run away with you at times, right? Um, in Luke 5, the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, at the time, you know, when Jesus healed the man that couldn't walk, and then he forgave him of his sins. They had a dialogue going in their heart going on, thinking this, who does this man think he is to forgive sin? Now, they didn't say that out loud, but Jesus heard their thoughts. Okay, same word. He heard their thoughts. He knew their, he knew their thoughts. That's what the Bible says. He knew their thoughts. So when you see here in verse number 38, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Why do doubts arise? Why is this argument going on in your mind? Uh, why are you trying to figure out what is real and what's not real? When I, when I looked it up also this, just a, just a little bit more here, it says, um, uh, Loanidas said that in a number of languages, doubt or thoughts, can be expressed by some idioms or some ways of discussion. It, in other words, uh, they said this, it means when you have doubt, you've got two conflicting thoughts going on in your mind. Two conflicting thoughts, two opposing thoughts. All right, so um, let me get a little illustration here going. Uh, Brother Brandon, you mind to help? Yes, okay, Brother James, you mind to help? That'd be great, okay. <clears throat> All right, so let, let's do this. All right, so I, I'll illustrate the uh, disciples. So, all right, on one hand, I'll let Brother, uh, Brother Brandon represent the fact, the truth that Jesus is alive, okay? On the other hand, I'm gonna let Brother James represent the, the thought that it's just a spirit, okay? Now, they knew that others had seen him alive, okay? So he's pulling me this way, all right? That thought is pulling me, but he's pulling this way. What do you think is going to happen? Not good. Okay. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm being pulled by two bigger guys than I am. So this is not going to go great, right? These are conflicting thoughts. Is it true that he's alive bodily, physically? Or is it true that it's just a spirit? And in their minds, they were going both ways with it. They were frightened. They were scared. They had fear. And these thoughts were rising in their, in their minds. Is that really him? Or no, wait a minute. You pull me that way. Keep, just keep pulling. Is that, <laughs> it's rather hard to preach when this is going on. I'll tell you the truth about this. Okay. Hang on just a minute. You, you see what's happening? They knew what he said, but then they knew what they thought. And they had two thoughts that were going on in the same mind. And they thought it was Jesus. But now, wait a minute, it's a spirit. And every one of them had the, the same thought. It, how did he get here? And so that, then they began to go this way. It must be a spirit. But then the truth came and began to pull him out. No, wait a minute. Touch me, eat with me here, and I'll show you that it is indeed I. Is this, is this silly or is this making sense to you? Is this helping you? Because I think oftentimes we live between truth and doubts. Truth and doubts. And in this particular situation with Jesus' disciples, they were pulled in both of these ways. But watch this. They could not go to the uttermost parts of the earth with the gospel if they were held back by their doubts. 
They would never get there. They, they would never get to Macedonia and to, and to all the other regions of the earth. They would never get there if they were wrestling in their mind. Did he really die? Did, did somebody else steal his body? Was it really him that rose again? Or is it a spirit? Is it a phantom? What, is it a ghost? What, what is it? They would never get beyond where they were. And they would never get to where God wanted them to be if they were held back by their doubts. And, and I realize this is a very particular situation. And that's why Jesus shared with them the truth. It is I, touch me. It is I bodily, I'll eat with you. I'll eat the fish and I'll eat the honeycomb. And he had a meal with them. And he appeared to all those that he appeared to here to the ten. Well, one was not there. One was not there, and hang on. One was not there, and he said this, I will not believe until I see the print of his nails in his hands, rather, and in his feet and in his side. Thomas. So, a week later, truth came to Thomas, and Thomas was still held back by that, if you'll pull a little bit harder, thank you, okay? <laughs> and he wants to believe, and yet he's still holding on to his doubts, but then he says this, and he lets go of his doubts, and he says, my Lord and my God. Yes, sir. And Thomas gave his life to the service of the gospel. And historians tell us that he went as far as India. Now, you don't go to India if you don't believe that he is indeed the risen Savior. You would be held back with your doubts. You'd still be in Jerusalem. You'd still be there. You'd never make it to India. You'd never have an impact on southern India, which, by the way, a lot of things that are going on in India still date back to Thomas going to India. That's why we have a Bishop of Thomas here. And Sam Thomas, are you hearing some of this? That goes back to, to the time when God, the Lord Jesus Christ, knew that Thomas was struggling and he had to let go of his doubts. And I want to thank God tonight that God is so compassionate to us and loving to us that he meets us where we are and is willing to help us even get past our time of doubting. And then he appeared to 500 and then he appeared to the seven. And even when Peter said, I go a fishing, we're going back the other way. Well, truth came walking. How much have you caught? Began to pull him back the other way. Uh, nothing. Try the other side. <laughs> Threw it on the other side. And so many fish were there that they couldn't bring it in. I mean, it was just amazing. And, and Peter said, I'm getting with my doubts. And he jumped in. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just trying to say he had to leave his doubts behind. But on the day of Pentecost, he stood and 3,000 were saved. And he preached to them and said, listen, this is fulfilling the prophecy of the prophet Joel, who said that this would happen. You know, these men are not drunken like you think they are. They're not drunk. They're just filled with the Spirit of God, enabling them to preach the gospel. And this is fulfilling. Well, they would have made the point. I appreciate how Brother Caleb Parton in his preaching time a couple of weeks ago and practice preaching in 10 minutes did a fabulous job of showing that they would have recognized, okay, if this is the fulfillment of Joel, the prophet, then that means the Messiah must be here. And Peter said, he was, you killed him. And they were pricked in their hearts. And they asked, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized. And, and it is that repentance is turning to God in faith that saves you. And the result of that or picture of that is the baptism. They followed in believers' baptism and 3,000 were added unto them. And I'm telling you, 
It went amazing after that because they left their doubts behind and they were all about Jesus and the preaching of the resurrection and that stirred up a whole city and 5,000 then were saved and others began to be saved and the church continued to grow so much. Why? They left their doubts behind and they believed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they heard the post-resurrection commands of our Savior. And when you analyze Matthew and you analyze Mark and you analyze uh, John and you analyze Luke, then what you see in the post-resurrection commands of Jesus Christ, they all are centered on go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And to do that, you've got to leave your doubts behind and follow him fully knowing that this is true. So why did doubts arise in your minds? Is it true that at times doubts can pull us away or keep us from God's will? There's some of you here that either are or you have struggled with doubt in your salvation. You know, you'll, you'll never be what God wants you to be and share the gospel like you ought to share it if you are pulled back by doubting your salvation. I'm thankful that God is compassionate towards us when we doubt our salvation. I don't know how many times I prayed, God, if I'm not saved, save me now. You've heard me say it before. I call it the ripcord prayer. I know now looking back, I was saved on April the 1st, 1984. But because of some of the sin I was in and things I was not doing in terms of growth, I began to doubt my salvation. How could anybody save do what I'm doing? And I began to pray, God, if I'm not saved, save me now. And man, I'm telling you, the, the parachute was open, but I was still pulling the ripcord. I didn't need to get saved again. I just needed to trust that he's true to his word. And that salvation is not as complicated as man makes it. Even as complicated as my analytical mind makes it at times. And I can just take God at his word and not listen to the doubts when they arise. Why do doubts rise in your hearts? He said he would save you. Take him at his word. How can, but then there's doubts about, you know, our, and how the uh, doubts about who you are and what you've done. God can never use me. I'm not anything special. My life's a mess. God can't straighten this out. And you can live your life right here. Or you could say, you know what? The truth is, he's able to help me in whatever situation of life I'm in. And you go and serve him. Or in a trial. I don't know that God's going to come through. I don't know if God's aware. It doesn't seem like it. Wait a minute, friend. He's alive still. But sometimes we get fearful, don't we? And our hearts are overwhelmed. I'm thankful God understands that and He knows that. But listen, friend, He does know what you're going through and He is sufficient for your need. And I don't know how He's going to come through on all those things and, and help you in that. But listen, I know for sure He doesn't want you to be weighed down in, wallowing in, and, and inhibited by the doubts that come to your heart and mind. What you need to do is replace your thoughts with God's truth. Do you see that? How do they go from a place of deliberating and, and really just doubting to a place of being determined? They replaced their thoughts that had risen up in their minds. They replaced their thoughts with God's truth. And that's the same thing that you need to do today as well. If you're doubting, if you've got this internal dialogue going on in your mind, such as, 
is the Bible really God's Word? What you ought to do is just replace your thoughts with God's truth. Is all of this real? Or are we just making ourselves believe this? I mean, them singing, that's awesome. But I mean, is it really real? You don't sing it like that if you don't believe it's real. <laughs> is all this real? Or are we just kind of going through the motions and everybody just kind of play along? Or is there validity to this? Well, the resurrected Christ shows that there's validity to this. So you replace your thoughts. You got this internal dialogue going on. I'm not saying you're weird for having that. That's what we all do. But you got this internal dialogue going on, but you've got to replace your thoughts with His truth to see victory in your life. And when you do that, you get to experience God's work in your life in an amazing way. I'm sure glad God can lead us specifically into His will. Along the way, there's been times when I've doubted, is God really working in this? And I'll never forget the time when, when God was leading us even to move here. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you helping to preach. Um, when God was moving us here and making it evident, and we were in a way where I was just doubting and wondering. And, and, but you know, God is our shepherd and he's able to lead us, isn't he? And I'll never forget Angie and I, we were on our way to a graveside or coming back from it. And the preacher on the radio said, some of you right now listen to this, you know what God wants you to do. And this has been about three months of us just praying about this decision to come here. Some of you know what God wants you to do, but you're waiting for all the ducks to kind of get in a row. Just go. <laughs> I mean, it was that plain, just go. Well, I wanted to make sure it was God's will. I, everybody understand that? I think you need to make sure of God's will. You need to make sure you're saved. You need to make sure about these things, absolutely. But, but there comes a time when you need to leave the fear and the doubt behind and say, God, I'm going to trust you and serve you and do what you've called me to do. I'm sure glad Peter and James and John and all the others left their doubt behind and served him with all of their heart and took the gospel to all the people groups of the world. And that's still going on today. And you and I are privileged to be a part of it. The book of Luke began in a temple and it ended in the temple. It began in a temple with a man named Zacharias who was gonna have a son named John the Baptist. It began in a temple with a man, a priest, Zacharias, who could not speak because he doubted God's word to him. It ended in a temple with disciples who would not be quiet because they met and knew the resurrected Savior. I'm glad we can live on this side of it rather than in the doubt side of it. Let's stand together here tonight. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of our doubts, in the internal dialogue sometime that's going on in our minds, and our minds rising up against us, against the truth that, Lord, you're there to help us and to show us the reality of your presence and remind us of what you said in the, in the law under Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms and right into the New Testament and the Gospels and in the epistles and even into the book of Revelation. God, from beginning to end, Lord, you've showed us the truth. And so I pray that when, when that truth is 
is in a conflict with our thoughts within us, that Lord, we would trust your word to be true and take captive any thought that's against what your word is stating to us. Lord, I pray for some here tonight that may be doubting their salvation. I pray for others, Lord, tonight that may be doubting uh, in a particular situation how you're going to come through. Or, or Lord, I pray for those that maybe are at a time of just wrestling with your will. And I pray that you'd make it very clear to them what they're supposed to do and that for sure they're to be gospel-centered in their life. So, Lord, I pray that you'd bless now in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing page 258, very appropriate. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Would you come? He invites you to come as we begin to sing, Brother Aaron. If you'd lead us, some are coming for baptism. And if you, that is you, then go ahead and make your way at this time. But how about you just come to the Lord. If you've had this internal dialogue, this internal conflict in your mind, come and bring it to Him and, and let Him help you here through His Word, through His truth as we sing.